It was the highest grossing movie of 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and uh, it was all about an archaeologist trying to find an ancient relic, <clears throat> a, piece, a missing piece of history, a uh, treasure. Uh, it was a great movie. It's full of caves and tombs and uh, uh, passageways and secret tunnels and, and fights and explosions uh, and a girl, there's always a girl, right? Uh, there's a girl, but uh, she's a tough girl. She's not like a damsel in distress. She can handle herself. So it's just this great movie uh, about uh, an archaeologist trying to get in touch with history and, in this case, find out, uh, find this particular relic before the Nazis find it because he doesn't want it to fall into the hands of the Nazis. He wants to save it for history. And, and the way he figures out where it is, uh, is kind of this sophisticated process. There's a jewel on a staff and he has to stand it in the right place so that the sun shines on it at the right time and points to where this particular historical relic uh, is housed. And that's how he finds out that the Nazis are looking in the wrong place. And so he has to get to where they are and dig into this other pyramid without them finding out so that he could get in there and get this particular piece and get it out and get it away from them and back to a museum or someplace like that uh, where it belongs. It's all about finding something, finding something important, finding something that's really, really valuable. I think most of us like uh, hide-and-seek type games. I mean, it's one of the first games we ever played as kids was, was hiding. So we'd hide from our parents first, and um, <clears throat> then we get older and we hide from, from our parents for other reasons. But when you're a kid, you play hide-and-seek, and you play with your friends. It's like this great game. And um, Another throwback to the 80s was Where's Waldo? You remember Where's Waldo? That actually came out in the 80s as well. Uh, red striped shirt guy on a page, a whole bunch of other characters, and you had to find where Waldo was. And it was a thrill. It was the most awesome thing if you were the first one to find it and nobody else found it and you had a secret and you didn't tell anybody where he was because you're better than everybody else. We like that, we like that sort of figuring out the puzzle, right? finding the secret place, finding, finding the thing that's hidden. Uh, this was the end of the 80s, uh, maybe touching into the beginning of the 90s, but you remember those 3D magic eye pictures? Like they had all the squiggly lines, but there was a 3D image and if you looked at it just right, then this dinosaur or something would, would pop out and you'd be able to see it. But if you just looked at it, normally you wouldn't be able to see it. And uh, it was one of the craziest things and one of the most frustrating things. If you were one of those people like I was and you could never see it, you were always mad at people who could see it and mad at people who tried to tell you how to see it. This may have been the beginning of mall kiosk because I remember these at mall kiosk and there would be people standing around. And typically, there'd be one person looking at it and like three people coaching them, right? You got to look through the picture. What does it mean? I don't know how to look through the picture. You got to look beyond the picture. I don't know. I'm looking at the picture. You got to let your eyes glaze over. You got to get fuzzy. You can't focus on the picture. And it was so frustrating if you couldn't see it, right? If you couldn't solve it, so you'd stand there and then all of a sudden, I, I see it. I no, it's gone again. I can't. Where did it go? That was my experience 
We, we like those sort of hidden things that get revealed, hidden things that you have to find. There's kind of a secret code. There's kind of a secret way uh, to figure them out. Any geocache people? Like you like to go geocaching, you, you get the coordinates, and you go through the woods, and you march around for a couple hours, and you find the box or the jar or the thing, you know, open it up, and it's, it's like two pennies in the tube of chapstick, but like you're happy because you found something and you feel all good about it. Um, all of this kind of led, I think, up to the modern day escape room. Right? Because the escape room now is the ultimate entertainment of having to find your way out, having to put the clues together and solve the puzzles and solve all the riddles so that you get the prize. How many of you have done escape room? Yeah, we did, it as a, um, uh, we did it as a staff back in December, had a great time. It was kind of our little, our little Christmas party. We got out. Uh, we got out in time, and it may have been because we had a deputy chief from the Decatur City Police on our team. But whatever, we got out and we solved it. There's something about solving puzzles and solving problems and finding treasure and getting out uh, that's just appealing to us. In the movie, uh, it's interesting that what they were looking for, mainly in the movie, not the, not the little idol that you saw the, uh, the clip of, but the main storyline of the movie was finding a biblical relic. It had a tie to the Bible, specifically to the Old Testament, and uh, this clip will help you understand that kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it, and maybe you can. Tannis development proceeding. Acquire headpiece, staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, oh, the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you mean commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any of you guys ever go to Sunday school? Well, I... Oh, well, look. The Hebrews took the broken pieces and put them in the Ark. When they settled in Canaan, they put the Ark in a place called the Temple of Solomon. In Jerusalem. Where it stayed for many years until all of a sudden whoosh is gone. Where? Well, nobody knows where or when. However, an Egyptian pharaoh... Shishak. Yes, invaded the city of Jerusalem around about 980 BC, and he may have taken the ark back to the city of Tanis and hidden it in a secret chamber called the Well of Souls. Secret chamber? However, about a year after the pharaoh had returned to Egypt, the city of Tanis was consumed by the desert in a sandstorm which lasted a whole year wiped clean by the wrath of God. So Exodus 25, God tells Moses to take the Ten Commandments, build a box, Ark of the Covenant, build a box, and put the Ten Commandments in it. Eventually, Aaron's rod is put in there. Uh, a cup of the manna that God provided from heaven is all put in the Ark of the Covenant. You read about the Ark of the Covenant all throughout the Old Testament. It makes appearances. Uh, incredible things happen around the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and then it's lost. Uh, it's, it's actually still one of the most mysterious aspects of archaeology, is who might find 
the Ark of the Covenant and where it might be. And there's all kinds of theories, all kinds of ideas of where it may have ended up. Well, in the movie, they weren't looking, at, looking for it so much for biblical reasons or even archaeological reasons. It was a whole other reason they wanted to find the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant was kept, right? Which is exactly what the Nazis are looking for. Now, what does this Ark look like? There's a picture of it right here. That's it. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. We're going to understand Hitler's interest in this. Thing. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. When you read the Old Testament and find the Ark of the Covenant, there are some fairly supernatural things that took place surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. So the movie makers took that idea and they made the plot of the movie, we're going to find this so it will give us great power so that whatever army has it can leverage that power and win all the wars and wipe out all of their enemies. Um, as an aside, we sometimes treat God that way. We sometimes treat God as if I can just get God on my side, then I always win. Or if I just do enough good things and I could get the right power. Well, that was sort of the idea. We want to find this ark and then we want to use it to kill all of our enemies. And they do eventually find it. Um, I'll let you see a few seconds of that. It's actually a fairly accurate replica of the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember the Old Testament stories about the Ark, the priest would carry it with poles, uh, just like they showed in the movie. So they did a really good job uh, replicating what the Ark of the Covenant may have looked like. Here's the thing. We spend much of our lives searching for things that we think will add value to our lives. We spend a lot of our lives pursuing, seeking, trying to get our hands on 
things that will make our life better, make our life happier, make our life more comfortable or more convenient or give us joy. We spend a lot of time pursuing things and we pursue different things. We pursue degrees and we pursue careers and we pursue relationships. Sometimes we have financial pursuits. Sometimes we have personal pursuits. Sometimes we have career pursuits. In all of us, there is this desire to have the things that will add meaning and value to our life. There is a desire to have things specifically that will give our life purpose, that will say, my life mattered. I want to do something that's going to make my life fulfilling, and maybe that means enjoyment, maybe that makes, means making a difference. But all throughout our life, we feel this tug towards, I want my life to count. I want my life to matter. I want to have joy. I want to have contentment. And we seek it in a lot of different ways. And, and as we age, we probably change the way we seek it or what we seek it from. There are probably things we pursued in our 20s that we no longer pursue in our 40s or 50s or 60s. Maybe we've learned some things. Maybe we've realized those things really didn't help. And so now I'm going to try something different. But all of us have this desire to seek, to pursue, to find. Now, in the movie, it seems that every time Indiana Jones finds something of value, there's always somebody there to take it away. There's always somebody there to say, I'm going to keep you from having this. And in one way, our life can feel that way. That as we pursue all of these things, even when we get them, most of the time we realize this doesn't provide the long-term meaning that I thought it was going to. This didn't last very long. I, I found the Ark of the Covenant. I found the thing I was looking for. And I brought it out of the cave. And pretty soon it wasn't shiny anymore. And it wasn't fulfilling anymore. And it didn't make me happy anymore. In the same way that Indiana found that to be true. In the same way the band sang this morning. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And most people spend their lives trying to find something that will give them purpose and meaning and hope. And a belief that their lives matter. But that song's true for a lot of people. They look and they look and they search and they pursue. But at the end of the day, and for some at the end of their life, they say, I, I didn't really find what I was looking for. I didn't find that thing. Because we're drawn to this pursuit, we tend to jump from one thing to the next in our life. Well, this didn't do it, that will. This much money didn't fulfill me. That much money will. That job didn't, but this job will. That person didn't, but this person will. And if, if that's our pursuit, then we're going to find those things. We're going to get those things. We're going to jump from this pursuit to that pursuit. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be fulfilled. Because there's nothing in this earth in this world that was designed to fill up our hearts. There's nothing in this world that you can gain or have that can fill up your soul. Jesus even said at one point, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world, like they get everything that's in the world, everything they've ever wanted but lose their own soul? In other words, there is a component 
There is a key piece to your happiness, my happiness, our contentment, our fulfillment that cannot be achieved with stuff. But we keep searching and we keep looking. Why? Now, I believe you and I are designed to search for that meaning. A part of who we are Deep down in our heart, in our mind, we are designed to seek out meaning and fulfillment and purpose. We want our lives to matter. So we keep looking for it. We keep searching for it. And ultimately, although we don't always admit it, although we try at times to deny it, the only thing that will fill up those parts of our life is God. That's how we were created. We were created with an empty space in our life that only God can fill. Billy Graham used to call it a God-shaped vacuum. There's a lot of things that you can enjoy in life. You can enjoy your career. You can enjoy your spouse. You can can enjoy wealth. There's a lot of things you can enjoy, but there's a part of your heart that can only be fulfilled in a relationship with your Creator. Now think about it. If that's true, let's say you're the creator. Let's say you're God, and you're going you're to make a creation. You're going to make people. And you know that the greatest fulfillment they'll ever know is when they're in right relationship with you. Wouldn't it be a loving thing to put that search in their heart? Wouldn't it be a loving thing to put a little hole in their heart that causes them to move towards you? And that's what God did. God put a part of our lives, our heart, our minds, He created a little gap. And He's the only one that can fill that up. Solomon writes about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 3, he says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's kind of three parts to that one sentence. Let's take them one at a time. Here's the first part. God is making everything beautiful, according to Solomon. He is making everything beautiful. Now, Solomon had just written a poem about the different seasons of life. And Solomon said, look, there are going to be good seasons, there are going to be hard seasons. There are going to be joyful seasons, there are going to be sad seasons. There are going to be seasons where you have plenty, and there are going to be seasons where you don't have a lot. Your life, my life, our lives are going to swing back and forth between the various seasons of life. And he gets to the end of that, and he says, all of those seasons, God's using to make something beautiful. The good and the bad, the easy and the difficult, God is using all of those seasons to paint a beautiful picture not just of your life, but of all time. See, regardless of the season that you're in, God is doing a beautiful work. God is doing a beautiful work regardless of your particular season, your particular circumstances. Because God is painting a picture that is bigger than your life or my life. God is painting a picture that spans... From the beginning of time to the end of time, and Solomon promises that picture ultimately is going to be a beautiful picture. The New Testament version of this, Paul gave it to us. 
He writes in Romans 8, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We know that in all things, God's painting this beautiful picture. God's designing this beautiful end. It doesn't mean that all things are good or all things are easy, but Paul says in everything that happens, God is bringing all things to His perfect end, to a beautiful picture. And even the things in your life and my life that are hard, that are tragic, that are difficult, Paul says, Solomon says, God's going to paint that into his picture and it's going to be perfect. It's going to be beautiful. You remember Bob Ross, this guy? Right, ever watched The Joy of Painting? It debuted on PBS in 1983. Now you can catch him on YouTube. Uh, extremely popular, extremely soothing, right? mellow, just calming, big hair, don't care. Yeah, it's, Bob, he's the man. But what Bob taught us primarily is that in painting, like there's no mistakes. Because if it looks like a mistake, you can just put a tree there, right? He was big on trees. You, you can put a tree anywhere. You can put a tree anywhere. We'll just make that a bird, right? Well, this little spot, we'll just make that a bird. This will be a sunset. Hey, Bob had a way of looking at the imperfections of the canvas and saying, it's going to be beautiful when we're finished. You're going to love it when we're finished. I'm not done yet. That little thing you see over there, that's not completed yet. Hold on. I'm going to make this beautiful. God's like Bob Ross. I don't know if he has the hair. Maybe he does. God's in heaven. Here you and I are. And we're in this one part of the picture, right? We're in this one part of the painting. The painting's bigger than we are. But we're in this one part of the painting. And sometimes I look at this part of the painting that I'm in, and I think, that's a mess. I don't know how all that goes together. This isn't working out. God said, I'll make a tree right there. You don't get, this is going to be a bird eventually. This is going to be beautiful eventually. And, and I'm not trying to trivialize our pain. We've, we've, if you live long at all, you know pain. Like you've had disappointment and loss. And I am not trying to minimize what anybody is going through. I, I am trying to maximize the guy who's doing the painting, though. I'm trying to maximize the guy who's holding the colors and who's approaching the canvas and saying, I'm not done with this yet. This painting isn't finished. And yeah, your part right now is hard to accept. But I'm not done. Solomon said thousands of years ago, he's making everything beautiful. Give it time. Give it time to see what God is going to do in your story and in His story. The ultimate story. So God's making all things beautiful. The second thing from this, this verse, you and I, we know intuitively that there's a bigger, more meaningful story happening. We know there's a bigger picture. We know it intuitively. Sometimes we don't admit it. Sometimes we try to de deny it. 
But we know, again, this is what God put in our hearts. Solomon says, God has set eternity in our hearts. You and I know, whether we admit it or not, we know this cannot be all there is to existence. We just know. We look at life and we know it's not just a birth date and a death date. It's not you live and then you die and then that's it. We know deep down in our souls, we know there's a big picture that's being painted. It's why we ask why. It's why we ask why. When we go through good things, when we go through bad things, primarily when we go through bad things, we're all prone to ask why. Why do we think there's a why? Because we intuitively know there's a bigger picture. And I'm not getting it right, and it's not real clear to me. It doesn't look like a bird to me right now. I don't see a tree right now. But there's something bigger going on. I'd like to get clued in on that. We know there is purpose and meaning. That life is not just random and chaotic. It's not just events, one right after another, and then we're going to be gone one day. We know there's a canvas that is draped behind what we can see. And it's telling a big story. And that would be great, except for the last part of the verse. Solomon says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's making everything beautiful. He's put it in our hearts to know that, to know that there's a big picture that's being painted. But the third part says, you and I can't fully figure out every detail of this beautiful plan. E even though we know it's there, we sense that it's there, we sense there's a big story, Solomon says we can't fully figure out all of the details and how it all goes together every time. Have you noticed that life doesn't always explain itself to you? God doesn't always explain himself to us. When we walk through difficult times, it might be a little bit easier if God showed up in your living room and said, let me, let me explain what's happening here. Right? It, it might be. It might be a little bit easier if God said, I want you to know why this is happening. Solomon, wisest man to ever live other than Jesus, 2,000, 4,000 years ago, he's writing. He says, look, there's a, there's a big picture. You need to believe in it. Your heart tells you there's a why. Your heart tells you there's a big picture. You're not always going to figure it out. You're not always going to put the pieces together. You've got to trust. Now, the, the danger with that is that when we can't put the pieces together, it makes us feel like we're not in control. Because guess what? We're not in control. But because I'm not in control, because I can't control the big picture, because I can't always control the tragedies or the things that are going on in my life, I start pursuing things that I can control. I start pursuing Jobs and money and relationships and titles and I just want to have more. I can control that. And that's the point where this seeking part of our heart that can only be fulfilled with God, that's the point at which we start trying to fill it up with other things. This person is going to fix me. This person is going to make me happy. If I married that person, then everything would be right in my world. No, no it wouldn't. It wouldn't. 
Nobody's on this earth can fix all the places in your heart. They just can't. They can add joy. They, they can bring support. They can be an encourager. They can be a great spouse. Nobody can fill up all those empty places in you. We're, we're left with this dilemma that there's a great picture. I feel it to be true. I don't always understand it. So how am I going to spend my life? Jesus, in, in the longest sermon message that's recorded in the Bible, deals with this issue. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, it's the beginning of Matthew, around Matthew 5, 6, and it goes on for several chapters. It's the longest continuous teaching of Jesus that we have recorded in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, you're going to go through this life, and there are going to be times that you're going to be tempted to pursue things because you think they'll satisfy you. You're going to be tempted to run after things and people because you think, if I just get that in my life, then I'll be happy, I'll be perfect. And you're going to worry about it. It's going to cause all kind of anxiety because you think, I got to get that. I got to get that. I got to get recognized. I got to get this job. I got to get this person. And Jesus said, look, this is, how, this is how unbelievers live their life. This is how people who deny this bigger picture live their life is trying to fill it up with all of these little things. Don't be like them. Don't keep running after these things that can't satisfy. So here's his answer in the next verse. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You want to pursue something? You know what your heart wants to pursue? The kingdom of God? Like God's rule and reign and his ultimate supremacy over all things, including your life. You know what you need to pursue is the Son of God, Jesus, who came and lived and died for you. You want something to be first? You want something to be the pursuit of your life? Make it Jesus Make it God's reign over your life. Seek that first. And yeah, I know there's other things you have to have. You have to eat and you have to have a job and, and you want to get married. God's like, I understand all of that. This is an issue of priority. It's not wrong to pursue those things provided you're pursuing God first. Provided over all of those other things, the reign and beauty and glory of God is first. The Son of God is first in your life. It's, it's an issue of priority. What am, what am I going to pursue? In the movie, the Nazis finally get the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, they're all standing around. Indy's tied up. The girl's tied up. And they, they open it, and it's just sand. There's nothing in there but sand. And after a few seconds, colors start swirling, and things start happening. And ghosts and monsters come out of the Ark of the Covenant, and they kill everybody, and they die, and they're bleeding. It's a real family-oriented movie. And so everybody's falling, everybody's dying. It's not really realistic. But it's pretty true to some of our experiences. Because some of us spend so much time pursuing things, and when we get them, we realize not only have we wasted our life, but this thing that we've been trying to get destroyed part of our life too. I mean, that, that, 
That's the hardest thing to admit. We don't want to admit this. It's the hardest thing to admit that I've spent years trying to get this, and I finally got it, and it, it, it didn't solve anything. It, it didn't fill anything. And some of us look back and we realize, not only did it not fulfill the search of my heart, but it cost me my family. It, it cost me years with my kids. It cost me my integrity because I so much wanted this thing that I sacrificed a lot for it. So Jesus says, seek first. Above all, it's not that there aren't other good pursuits that you can seek out. Seek first in your life, first, God's kingdom, His Son. And this is something we have to be reminded of frequently. This, this isn't, oh, I gave my life to Christ, so that fixed to that. That doesn't necessarily fix that. We go through different seasons. And, and the, the way the world is, is it raises up and it keeps saying, no, pick me, no, look at me, no, pursue me. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's the financial pressure. Maybe it's business, not always big things. Sometimes it's just the calendar and business. And we got to get here, we got to do that, and we got to get the kids in. We, we live a lot of our lives motivated the, by the fear of missing out, right? FOMO is what they call it, right? The fear of missing out. Oh, I, I got to do that. We got to put our kids in this. We got to do this. We got to go here. We got to have that. Everybody has one of those. And God's saying, look, you got to keep checking your heart for what's first in your life, for what you're seeking above everything else. And is it the kingdom of God? There's a point in the movie, they've captured the ark, they've captured the girl, they're going through this valley, and Indiana's standing up on a rock with a grenade launcher, which is, that's pretty awesome. So he's standing up on a, with a grenade launcher, and he's threatening to blow everything up. He'll blow up the ark and all the people and the girl, like everything, he's going to blow it all up. And they know he's lying, and they know it. He cares too much for the girl, he cares too much for the ark, because he's an archaeologist, he would never do that. So finally, one guy steps up and he says this. We are only passing through history. This, the Ark of the Covenant, this is history. We're only passing through history. This is history. This has lived longer than we have. It's going to be around long after we're done. We're, we're just showing up for one little piece of the story. The Ark of the Covenant's it's been going on for a long time. Now, that's the way our lives are. I don't know if you've ever looked at it that way. There's this, there's this picture that God is creating. There's this story that God is telling. And you and I, we're one tree, right? We're one little part of the landscape. One little part of the picture. We're, we're not the story. We, we try to make the story about us. Jesus said, no, 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 the story's not about you. The story's about God. It's about His kingdom. It's about His glory. We're passing through the story. We're one little chapter of the story. So as you and I are passing through God's story, the choice is ours as to whether we're going to connect with this bigger story, this bigger picture. 
As we're, as we're playing out our one scene in the painting, we get to decide. Like, I, I'm going to put the bigger painting as the priority in my life. Or I'm going to live for me. I'm, I'm going to keep seeking and searching and pursuing all the things that I think will bring fulfillment. But at the end of the day, God's painting the story. God's painting the picture and inviting you, inviting me to join it with him. Later on in Matthew, Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of God. It goes like this. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's buried. And if you've found it, if you've found it buried in a field somewhere, you would sell everything you had to buy that field and get that treasure. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus said it's worth everything. It's worth everything about your life and my life. It's worthy of being first in your life. The kingdom of God, the son of God. It's not going to disappoint. He's not going to allow us to go unfulfilled. For he created that part of your heart and my heart to be filled only by him. Let's pray. Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Put it above everything else. All your other pursuits, all of your other goals, all of your other desires, all of the other things that you want. Put God, His kingdom, His Son above all of that. And, and this is a Sunday for all of us to evaluate what we're expending energy and time and emotion on what is driving us. And if at the top of that list isn't Jesus, isn't God in His kingdom, and we need to reprioritize some things today. We need to shuffle some things around. For some of us, time or where we are in life or finances, those things have just crept in and taken over first place. Maybe there wasn't a night where you just decided God's not going to be at the top anymore. Maybe it just happened over time. Maybe life just moved him down the list. And this is the day that you say, in my life, in my family, in my future, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And maybe you're here, and there's never been that moment where you've turned everything over to him through his son Jesus. That moment where you've invited Christ into your life to be your Savior, to be forgiven of your sin, to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and today's your day. Right now is the time. In your words, tell God that you want to be forgiven of your sin. You want to put your faith and trust in Jesus and invite Him into your life because He'll come in. God, we live in a noisy world. We live in a world where there's distractions and things pulling at us and things demanding attention. But help us to remember, remember the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God 
And all these other things will come into your life in right measure, in the right time. What you need, it'll be there. It'll be supplied. There's other pursuits you can have, but there's only one you can have first. There's only one that can be top priority. And may we leave here with a renewed desire to put Jesus at the top of that list. I pray it in His name. Amen.